We're in Colossians 2 this morning, and we'll be there for a while. This morning we're in verses 6 and 7, in which Paul, in his usual style, says a lot in a little. So, let us hear the word of our God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious Father, for so much as our whole salvation depends upon our true understanding of your holy word, Grant to all of us that our hearts, being freed from worldly affairs, may hear and apprehend your holy word with all diligence and faith, that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a young Christian, I was not yet connected with a church, but I worked in a bookstore. And being inclined to read, I read a lot of books about all kinds of topics. But one of the things that was important was trying to figure out, what next? I've come to faith in Christ. How am I supposed to live as a result of this newfound faith? And so I read not just the scriptures, but I began to read a number of other books that I hoped, would help me understand this. And seeing as how the bookstore I worked in was not a Christian bookstore, the choices were not always the most helpful. Amongst them was Hannah Whittall Smith's book, The uh, Christian's Secret to Happiness. Yeah, see, some of you know this. Oh, a dangerous little book, isn't it? So close to the truth, and yet... So far from the truth. I found it really didn't help me understand what it was to live the Christian life. And then I stumbled upon, through someone else, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. And I found my spiritual life plummet into the abyss. Maybe some of you like that book. I didn't like that book. Because what happened is, is he, he kind of talked about that which is from the body or from the, my human will is sin, and, or, or actually he said soul, because he breaks everything up into body, soul, and spirit. So the, the decisions I make that are rooted in the soul are wrong, and the ones that are from the spirit are good, and I had a hard time really figuring out the difference between the two. And so I ended up basically thinking everything I do must be sin. And it's just really... Not to sh- not shipwrecked me, but really kind of paralyzed me spiritually for a long time. This is an important thing. What to do after faith? How are we to live as Christians? And that is precisely where Paul goes next. Because th- these Christians in Colossae were getting some bad information from some other people. No, Hannah Woodall Smith and Watchman Nee had not been born yet. But there were other bad people who were who are really corrupting and, dest- and seeking to destroy their faith in numerous ways. The big idea this morning is that Christ works in us so that we walk in him. Paul starts off 
with this idea that since you received him, walk in him. He begins with, therefore. Now, obviously, for those of us who remember, uh, Sproul would always say, you have to ask what the therefore is there for. Uh, It's connecting this passage, this sentence, with what preceded it. Okay, And so as a result of him being confident of their good order and their being steadfast in their faith, he has instruction for them that is pertinent so that they remain in that faith. And so he starts off with, as you received. Pretty simple, isn't it? How is it that you received Christ? And I think all of you would answer, By faith, by faith as he is presented to us in the gospel. And so there's an understanding here that there's a basic foundational doctrinal content that is necessary to understand who Jesus is. Okay, Because there are lots of misunderstandings about who Jesus is. And your faith must be in the biblical Jesus, the, the Jesus of history, the true Jesus. And so Paul, in, in kind of building on this idea, mentions the fact that he is Christ Jesus or Messiah. Okay? Christ is just the, the Greek form, well, the English transliteration of the Greek form of Messiah. Okay? Which points to the fact that Jesus is the anointed one, which means that Jesus has the three offices that were anointed in the Old Testament. That he is a prophet that he is a priest, and that he is a king, and that he is unique, and in that in him alone, all three of these offices are joined together in one person. Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, what you find is that there are three people, just like the Old Testament. Gandalf representing the prophet. Okay? Uh, Frodo representing the priest. And, of course, Aragorn representing the king. And instead of three people working separately to accomplish a great salvation in that sort of story, what you have here in the biblical story is one person doing all three of these things, Jesus revealing how we are saved, revealing the greatness of our sin, but then also working as the priest to to satisfy God's wrath that we might be saved, and also as the king applying it to his people defending his people, moving the kingdom forward. And so this one little phrase, that one word actually, Messiah, means so much. We could unpack uh, unpack all of that for a long time. But not only is he called Christ, but Paul also says, Lord, Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul elsewhere has similarly said, for, we procl- for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake in 2 Corinthians 4. In other words, because he's king, he is also Lord, he has authority. He is one who is to be obeyed. We, in other words, we owe him full obedience in every area of our life. Now, that's not how we come to Him. We don't come to Him with obedience, with good works, okay? But we recognize 
the call of the gospel comes from the authority of God. The, the call to repent and believe comes with his divine authority, and we are to respond obediently <laughs> by believing. Okay? And as a result, we recognize his authority in every area of our lives. And so we believe that he is Lord of all, including us. Not just everyone else, but us. And it's frightening, in a sense, that there are uh, many who sort of reject that reality. That the Lordship of Jesus is an essential part of Christianity. That somehow you can resist the lordship of Christ in your life? Like, completely. <laughs> okay, not... We all struggle with sin. Okay, I'm not talking about the ordinary struggle with sin, but basically saying, it doesn't matter what Jesus tells me to do at all. So Paul says, as you have received Jesus by faith, you are to walk in him. This is the one command in this passage the only imperative that we find here. And so what Paul is saying is we are to walk presently as we have received him in the past, and that is by faith. We do not begin by faith and then continue by works. Or as Paul would say in Galatians later on, you know, you don't begin by the Spirit and then you know continue by the flesh. It is faith beginning to end. It is by faith that we receive his commands. It is by faith that we obey those commands. Find it odd in Isaiah 30, verse uh, 21. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the left, right, or when you turn to the left. And so as we walk by faith, we're actually responding, in a sense, to what Christ tells us. He provides us with guidance and provides us with wisdom. And so it's not a walk, so to speak, of blind faith. But it is, it is a life in, in, uh, that is walked in faith to Christ, our King. Does that make sense? I don't know. So they were to continue to live by faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. I'm reminded in part of The Hobbit, the book. Okay, the book. As they enter into the dark forest, there's a road. And Gandalf is about to leave the party for a time. He does that, you know. And he has one final word of instruction to them. Don't leave the path. The path is sort of like a jungle. Because once you're in a jungle, I've never been in one, but this is what I hear it's like anyway, you lose all sense of bearing in a jungle because you you have there's no boundary markers. Everything starts to look alike. You can't see the sun, so you can't get a, a bearing on where you are and what direction you're supposed to be going in. And this forest was like a jungle. They could not see the sun to be able to gain any sense of bearing. 
And what do you think they did? They left the path and found lots of problems as a result. And so, you know, we continue. We don't, we don't leave the path of faith. We are to remain on this path of faith. And Jesus will continue to guide us. In other words, these Christians were to resist the call to seek fullness in God through obedience, through rituals, or through mysteries. That's the original context. Okay, we've kind of alluded to before. We're going to get into a lot when I get back from vacation. Actually, it's not vacation. It's study leave. Um, there, there was this sense... Okay, these false teachers who had come to the church in Colossae were saying to them, yeah, you need faith in Jesus, but you also need this stuff too. Okay, so they're not completely discounting Jesus, but what they're saying is, is that you need these rites, you need these rituals, you need this asceticism, you need this obedience if you're going to truly find fullness in Jesus Christ. They were, as we talked about leading people astray by taking their focus off of Christ and Him crucified. And really, what these these calls are, are really appeals to pride. Because then, we, you know, we could say we contributed something. You know, I, I underwent the mystery. I understand the mysteries and you don't. Okay, there's always sort of some separation that's going to take part on the part of, uh, on the basis of this obedience, these mysteries, these rituals, these rites that says, I'm in and you're not. Okay? Um, and, and there are, don't, don't be, um, don't think that that has stopped. There's still this notion that exists within Christianity of, of there's some people who are, who really get it. And there's some people who, eh, they just have faith. They're not really elite Christians. They're in by the skin of their teeth, but they don't have what we have. There's always sort of this tension, this, this, uh, this attempt to try and create these um, two classes of Christians. The ordinary Christian and then the real Christians. Like special forces Christians or something, you know? There's always that temptation, that pull, and Paul here is saying resist this because it is not from God. We're going to see how he explains this more fully in two Sundays. But the Christian life continues as it began by faith in Jesus as Lord and Messiah. Secondly, having been established in Christ, you're being built in Him. There's more going on than this living by faith in Christ, but it's not what you're doing, it's what Christ is doing. This is the important thing. Most of this passage is not about what you have done, it is about what, or what you are supposed to do, it's about what Christ has done. Living by faith rests upon what God has done and is currently doing for us in Christ. And so he starts with being rooted. We have been rooted. This is something that took place in the past, but it has a, a present effect, that whole you know, perfect tense sort of thing. The idea here is, is 
of something that has been established, perhaps like a tree or laying a foundation, it can, it can refer to both of those things, the agricultural metaphor or the, the construction metaphor. And this is where you get a little tension in the passage because the next part of it is a construction metaphor. So is Paul using a mixed metaphor or is he sticking with one? It's hard to say, but they both have the same essential point. What do roots and foundations provide? Stability for the growth that goes on up above them. You can't have a house. Well, not a two-story house without a solid foundation. Okay, And if you have a a house that's only one story, I guess you can get away with a, with, with, uh, out a foundation as long as you don't have a firm house. Right? You know, if you're just having like a thatched hut, doesn't really matter. You're gonna have actual, like, cement walls, wood, you know, it's not gonna hold. It's going to shift with the sands and the storms. You need something solid underneath. And so what Paul is saying is that God has laid this foundation. He sunk these roots in Christ. You don't have to lay a foundation. You don't have to sink your roots. It's already been done for you in Christ. You are passive in this. Paul touches upon this in a similar way in 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is, Paul saying, the only foundation upon which a Christian builds his life. It's the only one that has been laid for us, and then someone's going to build on it. And Paul says here in Colossians, you are being built up in him. Again, this, uh, the, the, you know, the people, the church in Colossae is passive as Christ continues to build upon it. He does not kind of build part of it and walk away. If you drive down uh, Oracle Road north of here, you, you pass, I think it was a hotel. Well, it was supposed to be a hotel. They never finished it. And so what you see is there's a foundation and part of a building, and now that part of the building is starting to lean over and fall apart. That's not what happens in true faith. Because the, because Christ never runs out of money. Christ is not, you know, at, at the, the whim of the economy, so to speak. He continues to build his church. He continues to build the lives of his people. Because he has already laid the foundation, he will continue that good work which he began. The building does not build itself, and yet we see through passages like Colossians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, that, that Christ builds it through apostles, he builds it through pastors, he builds it through various lay people. And yet, the emphasis is upon what God does through them. And so we're not to be, you know, frenetic and, and overly worried and concerned about somehow building the church or somehow making ourselves grow in Christ, but we recognize that ultimately it is God at work. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. Okay? God ultimately has to be the one who's at work for anything significant and meaningful to take place. 
He's also, he is at work primarily as, you know, through the apostles and pastors, through the instruction, okay, the, the, the unfolding of scripture, the, the preaching of the fullness of scripture, but he's also at work through our circumstances, both good and difficult. Maybe I should say easy and difficult. Okay. But he's at work there to build us and to change us. And so to kind of stick with that uh, more agricultural metaphor, it is because we are united to him in our faith that we receive life to grow. Uh, just as the branches receive sap from, from the main part of the tree or the, you know, the main part of the vine, and therefore they begin to grow and to bear fruit, and they can't say, hey, I did this on my own, because apart from the main tree or, or vine, they're not doing anything, as Jesus says in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's that vital union that takes place here. Okay? I want to help you under, maybe understand this a little bit better, this idea of the vital union. But it, it's another, another way of thinking about this one flesh principle that we find. Now, we usually talk about the one flesh principle in the context of marriage. Yes. Ephesians 5, however, Paul says, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Christ and the church. That one flesh principle. Because marriage is meant to be a reflection, a, a living picture for people to see of this one flesh principle that exists between Christ and the church. This one flesh principle is, I think Tim Keller says it very well, the idea of total life commitment to one another. That means you're all in, not partially in. Okay, We're going to talk about that when we get to sex later on in Colossians 3. I'm sure you're all looking forward to that moment. Okay, But that one flesh principle where you're completely committed to one another and part of how we change is that very commitment to one another. When Amy and I got married, something began to happen. We both began to change. And it was because of that total life commitment to one another. You know, our, our, both of our priorities shifted, and then our, our character began to shift. It's not something that happened usually in these cataclysmic unheaval, upheavals, but was gradual and over time, and guess what? It's not done yet. And so it's because of this, this total life commitment to Christ, okay, and he's really, you know, far more committed to us than we tend to be to him, okay, but we are changed through that commitment. We are changed and shaped through that covenantal relationship that we have with him. He changes us. He, of course, needs no change. That's where the metaphor breaks down a little bit. And so we, walk, we can walk in faith because Christ has laid a foundation and continues to build us through that one flesh principle. Thirdly, Paul tells them to be confirmed in the faith as you were taught. Paul reminds them they were taught. They received instruction. They received doctrine from this man named Epaphras. 
Okay, it wasn't just, you know, he came up to them and gave them the four spiritual laws. He proclaimed Christ and him crucified. He made Christ known to them more fully than you can in a little track. So they are to be established, which I'm not sure that's the best translation of that word in light of the context. It can also mean to be strengthened or confirmed. And I think that idea of confirmed is sort of what's going on here. Okay? Not in the sense of like when I was in 10th grade, I got confirmed in the Roman Catholic Church. Not that kind of confirmed. Okay? Um, didn't do me a lot of good. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's this idea of um, being proved authentic. That kind of thing. Um, Again, what's taking place here is that we are passive, not active. We are confirmed in the faith, Paul says, not faith. Okay, The faith refers to system of doctrine. Faith re- refers to your personal uh, subjective experience of faith, that you have trust and so what is going on here is that they discover or they are confirmed in the truth or the veracity of biblical doctrine. They grow in their understanding. They grow in maturity and how they think. And in order, in order for us to be confirmed, in a sense, we must listen, we must think, we must read. I know some of you aren't big readers, okay? but that's only one thing. You know, you know, you can listen, you can meditate, you can memorize. There are various ways for us to come to a greater understanding of the scriptures so that the truth is confirmed in us and we are confirmed in the truth. But the idea here is that Christ is sufficient to confirm us in it and confirm it to us. And so, if they live by faith in the faith, tying this in with point one, continuing in the sound and sufficient instruction of Scripture. Walk by faith in the faith. You will be, you will continue in the sound and sufficient instruction of Scripture. Oh, I messed up my lines, so to speak. What you'll see is that what he teaches is true. It bears out in, in your daily life. It bears out in, in, in your circumstances. Okay? That's the idea. We have a fourth point today. Those of you who are expecting three, you get a bonus. As you are, you'll abound with thanksgiving. Paul ends this, not with a command here, but this sort of a a response to all that God does for us in salvation, including what he's talking about here, essentially our sanctification. Again, it's not a command. He's using a, a participle to establish essentially what kind of people we are. 
Right? You know, parsable is a verbal noun for those of you who are grammar geeks. I'm not one of those, but I had to become one. Um, okay, and so what he's saying is this is the type of person that you are. You are one who abounds with thanksgiving. Okay, that idea of abounding, you know, we're rich in, it's abundant, it's overflowing, it's sort of like a spring. Okay, you know, a, a spring will keep producing water. It's abounding, it's not a cup of water. A cup of water never grows. It may diminish, either by drinking or evaporation. Okay, but a spring keeps flowing up above the top. And so what he's saying is, is you're not like a cup of water, you're like a spring. And you're meant, to, you're meant to be a spring of thanksgiving. That word Eucharisto that we sometimes call the Lord's table. Good grace, thanksgiving, praise. And so as we recognize what Christ has done for us and what Christ is doing in us, our response should be that we are people who kind of overflow with thanksgiving. Now, this is really a recognition of that the, the work of the Spirit, because what do people naturally overflow with? Complaining, grumbling, moaning. Or maybe I'm just different. Yeah, there are some, you know, glass half full people in the world, but still, most of us are prone because of the fall to always look on the dark side of life. And what Paul is saying is that the gospel fundamentally changes us so that while we may still be realists, we also recognize the reality of the gospel, which is greater than our circumstances. And as a result of that, we abound with thanksgiving. We're like the well that will only stop if you cap it. It's going to keep popping up to the surface. This is, that's really a sign of spiritual health. If you're, if you're not a thankful person, then there's something going on. There's, there's need for greater sanctification, greater work by God in your life. So if we're spiritually healthy, we're, we're fully aware of Christ's work for us, and then it bubbles up. Going to worship is not a drag, but it's an opportunity for all that pent-up joy to come out. Okay? Kind of hold it in for a while, you know, because you can't just shout out hallelujahs at work all week, right? Um, well, I can, but you guys can't, probably. <laughs> Cindy would probably think I'm crazy in there if, I, if she kept here, ah, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at family worship and in public worship and private worship, that's the opportunity to open it up so it flows forth. That's part of why Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Not because you got it good, 
because you have the car you want, you have the house you want, you have the salary you want, you eat the food that you want, you get to go on the vacations that you want, but because of Christ. Because all that other stuff is not going to matter a whole lot long term. So, if that work of Christ has our attention, not works, not rituals, not mysteries, you and I will have enough gratitude. And so essentially, what's kind of going on here is <clears throat> lacking the gratitude is an indication that we're probably trying to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. We're walking in pride and not in humility. Okay, the, the Two different ways of looking at the same thing. Okay, Because the Spirit's always going to produce humility in you, and uh, your flesh is always going to produce pride in you. Okay, And that pride can be in, um, well, it can actually show up in despair when you realize you failed. But that's pride. That's what pride does. So, anyway. So the Christian life is not as mysterious as some may make it out to be. We live it like we entered into it by faith in what we have received from Christ and about Christ. God continues to work in us, building us up in Christ. He does this by confirming the truth of the Scriptures to us so that we will grow in our trust and overflow with thanksgiving. And when we deviate from this, our lives are going to be marked by frustration and fear, despair, or pride. And so, how are you walking these days? Walk it by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love your people enough to give us this word. That your concern is not just uh, that we get to heaven, but your concern is also how we live in this world. And that you also know the uh, traps and snares that we are prone to walk into. And so, Father, be at work by the Spirit that we would kind of see the ways in which perhaps we're not walking in faith. Where we're really walking in confidence in ourselves or in someone else or something else. That we might repent. That we might turn our faith, our attention back to Christ in those particular areas. Continue to build us up. Continue to confirm us. Continue even to help us to walk in faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.